You're listening to the Union Church Podcast. For more information about Union, please visit unionboston.org. I feel like I just need to cut immediately to the chase this morning because there there just isn't uh, time to to fluff things up or, or dress them up or make them seem nice or digestible for the sake of our comfort or ease. We, we just don't have time uh, for that kind of worship anymore because your breath is more important to me than some well thought out sermon illustration or a pithy opening or some kind of artistic hook. You see, I'm, I'm reminded that yes, Jesus preached a sermon on the Mount where he taught us how to live in love, but he also exercised demons that tried to take a hold of us just by calling them out by name. It was a sermon in the form of naming things for what they were. And so this morning, I'm not interested in Beatitudes. I'm not interested in in parables. I'm interested in giving the very demons that have tried to claim us a name, in bringing that which is hidden up to the light, of calling it out and calling us back in again. I'm interested in making evil known so that it cannot hide, unassuming, and wreak havoc on our lives anymore. I want to name truth in this way this morning. You see, it's Trinity Sunday which is apt and fitting for our current predicament because we have to wrestle with what it means that God is both three and also one, that God can be a father and a son and a Holy Spirit, a creator, a redeemer, and a sustainer. You see, this is what happens on Trinity Sunday. Preachers and scholars and theologians do all they can to flesh out the fullness of our God, but they always end up in the exact same place. That this mystery of which we worship and pray can never, no matter how hard we try, be pinned down, codified, owned by human hands. Trinity Sunday is an acknowledgement that this relational God flows in and through and with the whole of our lives in ways that can never be mastered by scholars and ivory towers and experts on the news, that no matter how hard you try, you just won't ever be able to own God in such a way that we will always fail to capture the fullness of this earth maker pain-bearer, life-giver. You see, they tried to put God on a leash this week, tried to cage God, dress God up like a white man in a, a white house holding a white person's book. They tried to make God in man's image instead of the one that cannot be domesticated. They tried to parade God out in a lawn filled with preachers and poets and protesters. They tried to tell us that the Holy Spirit comes in the form of tear gas and that the gospel looks like Caesar shouting Hosanna in the highest heaven on the blood-stained lawn of the church. They tried to put a spotlight on God to say, here he is, 
Here he is. Now go and ignore the holy revolution that is brewing over there. But they did not know that this divine love is one that cannot be contained, cannot be controlled, cannot be quarantined or quartered or rounded up in police vans. This love cannot be bought with your money, cannot be expressed through your iron fist. It cannot be owned by even the most powerful man in the world. You see, this love is one that is scattered across all 50 states and beyond. The one that sings songs of protest well after curfew. The one that expresses its rage in the form of curse words and holy indignation at the state of our collective social body. We know that God cannot be contained because we cannot be contained either. We who bear the image of God, we who were formed in God's likeness, because as much as they try to hold our lives in their brutal fists, who we are can never be captured. See, they might try to own you, to claim you, to butcher your name and, and cut your hair, but like the Holy Spirit, you will keep on breathing like a wind that cannot be grasped. Like the one named Jesus, you will talk back to the emperor in power and might. And like the creator God, you will keep on singing, keep on dancing, keep on writing the truth of your story. You see, when our lives are reduced to easy narratives and digestible sound clips and bite-sized truths, how easily we become commodities for other people to own and sell and manipulate and consume the good housewife, the angry black woman, the well-spoken immigrant. You see, you know what whiteness likes? Whiteness likes mastery. To be able to claim mastery over a particular idea or concept or person or religion. Whiteness likes to swoop in and have all the answers, to tell you exactly who you are, to think it can define what exactly it means to be human, to be the thing that can both diagnose your problem and also offer the solution. Whiteness likes to be so big that it is all and knows all and anything that cannot get up to its level must be deficient, less than, or at the very least in need of correction. You see, I knew that whiteness was about more than skin color at the ripe age of about seven when I learned that the worst thing that I could be called in my hometown of Plainfield, Illinois was white trash. White trash. Do you hear how coded our racial language is? You see, it wasn't just about having white skin but about performing this thing called whiteness in a particular way. One that, that benefits you in the end, one that affords you certain privileges and safeties because white is strong, it dominates. It enacts power over, white is rich, elite. And if you can't be that, don't try to call yourself one of us. You see, when we talk about white supremacy, we're not just talking about an ideological system or a concept. We are talking about a force of evil that has become concretized in the very fabric of our nation. It is so imbued in everything we do, how we're taught in our schools, how we're told to look beautiful, how we pray, where we pray, what kind of communities are worth being invested in at the state and local level. You see, I refuse to consent to any way of promoting life or preaching gospel that reduces our existence to bite-sized phrases and social media blackouts. I refuse because we are so good 
at performing here in the US. We are good at, at marketing ourselves through curated profiles and politics of respectability. We are good at staying hashtag woke when it's convenient and cool, but what we are not good at is slowing down, reaching deep within us and pulling out the very thing that's been killing us this whole time. You see, systems, they don't just live on the outside. When we talk about the powers and the principalities, we're acknowledging that the very systems we rail against, acts to burn down and never return, are the ones that have so powerfully and insidiously gotten up inside of us to the point where we don't even recognize them anymore. Because once upon a time they told you that if you were a good and faithful servant of the Lord, that if you lived your life as God's workhorse, that if you became God's employee of the month, that if you were obedient, submissive, subservient, then surely when you prayed for a breakthrough or a sign or a word that God would reward you. But you see, God is not the CEO of some company called Earth. God is not waiting to give you a performance review, a Christmas bonus, a cut of God's profits. God is the word made flesh, a humble and strong and fiercely loving man named Jesus. He did not sit in a boardroom or up on a golden throne. He did not speak from a mighty pulpit or wear thousand dollar suits. He was born in a manger, a filthy, dirty manger. He did not look like the people in power. He did not embody status and wealth. He was born in into the class struggle, he did not create it. So when I turn to the very same book, 45 had the audacity to hold in his tiny hands, and I look to Matthew chapter 28, I am reminded that the one who speaks of authority, that the one who commands his people to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, this triune God, that the one who claims his power as Lord of all is not a president or a capitalist or a broad-shouldered, attractive white man, quite the opposite. You see, he's called us to go out and make disciples, not disciples of Caesar, not disciples of empire, not disciples of white supremacy, but disciples of a poor, brown, immigrant refugee who was labeled an enemy of the state. There is no doubt in my mind that if Jesus Christ lived and moved in the year 2020, he would most certainly know the sting of pavement on his face, the clanging of tear gas canisters, the wounds of rubber bullets. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, to this Jesus, this one. We have a holy opportunity to turn this thing around, to breathe back into what has been burnt up to dust and say, still, there is life here. And this life, it can be good. I need you to know that this assembly of believers, it matters. That we as a community matter. That this work of grief and lament and holy righteous rage, it matters because we will not sing to the God of white supremacy. I tried to ask myself if we were, if, if he were here, if Jesus were here, if he walked into the room, what would he say? What kind of hope would he offer the world? What would he give us that would turn this all around? But I realized rather quickly that he would 
he would sound like the prayers you prayed in your bedroom this morning. Like the voice coming in on the megaphone at the protest crying justice. He would sound like the shouts of anger and rage at the death of yet another innocent black body. He would sound like the people, like the struggle, like the fight to be free. There's this, there's this myth that's, that's going around that says that if you can just read the right books right now and, and listen to the right podcasts and join the right rallies, that you can free yourself finally of this thing called white supremacy, that if you just engage the literatures and debate your folks enough times, you can decolonize your mind just like, just like that. But can you hear? Can you hear how the powers and principalities just swoop right in there? Can you hear the call to master that which cannot be contained, the insistence that you perform more than you reform, that you speak with your mouth more than you know in your bones, that you wear the robe of righteousness without having first been baptized, not baptized like conversion, but baptized like remembering who you are, what your name is, whose image you were formed in, because Jesus reminds us that evil can quote scripture too, because soon to be trillionaire, Jeff Bezos can post Black Lives Matter while simultaneously profiting off of business policies that exploit the black and brown working class. Because Rand Paul can literally quote W.E.B. Du Bois in one breath and squash an anti-lynching bill on the Senate floor in another. Because white folk can post hashtags and testify to black sacredness at a time when it is socially advantageous to do so, while forgetting that it is their white privilege that has afforded them the ability to say anything at all. We don't need any more performances. We need disciples. And no, I, I don't mean that we have to go out into the street and convert unsuspecting protesters into self-proclaiming Christians. I mean that if we really believe what we say we believe, that if we really trust that he came so that we might have life and have it abundantly, that if we can honestly say, I was baptized in the name of a God who would not be owned and explained and rationalized by even the church, then maybe something of the struggle of my life something of this insistence on grief in the face of productivity, something about rage and resistance is making that salvific body of Christ known here and now. Remember who you are, Union, and whose you are, because it is the poor, unassuming Jesus who says, I'm the one who will be with you wherever you go. And so my invitation this morning is just to slow down, catch your breath, Remember that you are more than the box of what it means to be righteous and good that they're trying to put you in. That just as our nation experiences the painful purging of the evil that has gripped it for so long, you deserve to be healed too. Oh, may the nations inside of you be baptized. May the worlds you inhabit that burn up within you be cleansed. May the holy 
and cool. Waters of baptism, the ones that bless you, the ones that remind you exactly who you are, beloved, dynamic, image bearer of the God who cannot be caged. May these waters rain down upon you now, not in a delicate sprinkling or a designated pool, but in a roaring and vicious thunderstorm. One that refuses to let the men in power stay asleep as you bask in the fullness of your existence. My hope for you this season is that you flourish in this thunderstorm, that you take the lightning as a sign that God will guide you in the darkest night, the insistent downpour as one that will remind you you will never be without the power of God, and that rushing wind, may it be the Holy Spirit propelling you forward even as your bones ache and your body tires. Oh, we are more than just bodies. We are image bearers of the triune God who said, don't you dare try to define me in easy terms. Don't tell me who I am because you were created free, loved into freedom, liberated from the void, that aching that you feel, that yearning that grips you, that wind that knocks you over, it's not evil. It's the heartbeat of God inside of you, refusing to let this world pump poison in your veins any longer. So therefore, go, beloved, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, blessing them in the name of a triune God who could not be captured either. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about Union Church, please visit unionboston.org.